Hello and welcome to the Deep Jambia podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffman man. How are we? Pretty good. Pretty good? What do you mean pretty good? Saturday morning, sun is shining. Yeah, it is actually a gorgeous morning. You've yeah. been kind enough to make me a cup of tea. I've been kind enough to make you a cup of Melbourne breakfast. Mel- oh my God. My favourite tea. Really? Yeah. Don't tell Rachel Dupre that. It's her favourite tea as well. If she's listening, <laughs> <laughs> which she is not. Um, a strong second is Canberra breakfast. Have you ever had that one? No. Uh, have you heard of it? Never. So it- Didn't know they had breakfast in Canberra. <laughs> The public service just skips straight to lunch. <laughs> no, um, it is like an Anzac biscuit that's been melted down into a tea. So in- it's like interesting brown sugar, a little bit of coconut. I know that's not in Anzac biscuits, but it's like real biscuit vibes. Mm. And it's really sweet. You can just drink it black and it's sweet as. Very unpatriotic of me, but I don't actually like Anzac biscuits. Oh. So I'll stick to Melbourne breakfast. God. What would you say is your favorite biscuit then? Favorite biscuit, sweet or savory? Sweet. Sweet. Okay, sweet. Um, poor oh, big one. I don't know, maybe a teddy bear biscuit. Yeah, chalky teddy bear biscuit. Yeah, <clears throat> that is a very strong call. Yeah. Um, speaking of strong calls, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on from Bickies to the NBA. Will be returning. We are going to be watching basketball again. Um, for anyone who gets notifications, push notifications on their phone of news. You've seen over the last two weeks, Celtics have reopened their facilities. Lakers have reopened their facilities, and instead of just other not telling us or telling us all in one big dump you're getting 30 notifications of all those teams reopening their facilities and it's slowly but surely coming back to normalcy even though we're in the middle of a pandemic but coming back to normalcy includes basketball being played again and i think that is what's that exactly 30 days away yeah no sorry over a month that is two months away that we're going to be watching basketball but at least there is a date that we can look at and aspire to yeah so july 31st when it's all supposed to go down uh there's a lot to kind of get organized before then Mm. and um reports from kevin o'connor saying that uh nba teams will like officially gather with all their teams um for like a little training camp around the middle of july so they'll have like roughly roughly two weeks to get um everything together but uh, at the moment, it looks like it's going ahead in Orlando in the bubble venue, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, like I said before, there's so much to get organized logistically for that. Um, but it's exciting. It's it's like, I don't know, it feels a bit weird because it's been so long without basketball mm. that it's almost kind of like normal that <laughs> there's not basketball. Mm. And it's but then you think like, well, we'd be in the we'd be in like the thick of the playoffs right now. We'd be you know on the road to the finals mm. somewhere, probably in the conference finals right now. Mm. So the idea of getting it back and actually getting to you know see that this year mm. is uh, it's that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, so this was reported by Sham Stranier of the Athletic, and in that report he said that by next Thursday, um, the NBA and the Board of Governors will have decided what format they're going to return in. And it's looking like it'll likely be a 20 to 22 team format. So the, I'm assuming the bottom of the the bottom of each conference will be chopped off. Um, which you know, you hark back to Steve Kerr's statement that he said that at the end of the season, um, at the end of what we now know is the end of the season, he said, "Yeah, that felt like a closing meeting. That felt like I'm not going to see these guys until training camp." So he's probably right there. And you know, the the worst teams won't be playing basketball. And it's interesting because 
just uh, a couple of days prior, um, Damian Lillard said that if he and the Portland Trailblazers don't have a chance to get into the playoffs, he doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to go in saying, all right, let's play seven more games. These guys can make some money. Like, yes, he'll get his full contract, but he doesn't want to play without the opportunity to win, which is, you know, ironic because he just seems to always be getting to the <laughs> to the first round and just got a lucky draw last season. But that's, that's neither here nor there. So if they are going to just chop off the bottom of the conference and then what also was reported is that the NBA may have play-ins, whether that be, um, you know, an exciting play-in with New Orleans and Memphis going for the eighth seed or Charlotte and Brooklyn going for the eighth seed in the East. But, you know, how, how much do you cut off here? Like, where's the cutoff line? Do you cut off more from the East or? I think you've got to do it the same in each conference, right? Like, it's not going to be an appealing product in the East because, you know, like even once you leave the top six seeds, mm. let alone, you know, like nine, ten, um, the nine and ten seeds, it's it's really, really ugly out there. In the West, it would be really cool. And Portland, I think currently, I'll fact check myself, but I think they're currently the ten seed. They're ninth. They're ninth. ninth. So that would be a really, really cool, like, fun playing. And you think, I don't know, like, that would definitely give them the chance to um, to advance. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking at something involving, like, the Grizzlies, Blazers, Pelicans, and Kings, which is the 8th through 11th seed. But then to do the same thing for the East, you've got to go the Magic, um, the Wizards, the Hornets, and the freaking Bulls. <laughs> All playing off for the last playoff spot, yeah. and every single one of their teams is significantly under five hundred. So, it's not really a super enticing product, and you might have a tough time like persuading all of the Bulls to you know like come back. Like they, they play know, for Jim Boylan. Yeah, pay for Jim Boylan. They know they're not going to make it because they're significantly worse than everybody else. You know, like mm. you know, they, they, they've got realistically no chance, but they have to come back. So, I don't know. It's not a perfect solution. They were, um, they were discussing the idea of a group stage, like a mm-hmm. World Cup style group stage, where you basically sort you sort the league into groups, and then like take let's say the top twenty teams, sort them all into four groups of five. Each team, um, a team will play each of the other teams in the group twice for a total of eight games. So at least everyone's guaranteed to get eight games. Mm-hmm. And then the winners of those groups will be sorted into playoff order and then you go from there. Mm-hmm. But that was pushed back on by um, some of the top teams in the league and their um, front office staff because if you're a Bucks, you don't want to risk going into a group where you're playing off against maybe two other good teams and if something random happens, mm. then you might miss out. You just want to play the eight seed. You want to play the worst seed in the conference. You want to have your quick four games against Orlando. Yeah, exactly. You want to go four games four games and out against Orlando and move on to the second round. And the same with the Lakers. I mean, like it'll be really, really fun to watch the, the if they do that playing in, in the West. Mm. But... I don't think anyone seriously thinks that whoever comes out on top, be it the Grizzlies, Blazers, Pelicans, or Kings, that they'll, you know, yeah, seriously challenge the Lakers. Mm. They might be able to take a game, yeah, uh, but nothing more than that. So all of the best teams in the league have no incentive to, you know, give their um, consent for the group state, the group stage style tournament. So I think that's, you know, it was discussed really intensely for a while, but. Mm. Um, it's yeah receded into the background in favour of the playing style tournament which has been something that the league has wanted to do for mm. Yonks yeah so hopefully the silver lining from this is that if the league does do this playing tournament and they can sort of iron out the creases in this coming months 
and really have a product that they're happy with, maybe we can see this in future seasons. And that can be one of the changes that Adam Silver has talked about making since he came into office. You know, that could be this could be a permanent change if all goes well. Yeah, well, there's been various people reporting that the reason why they're taking so long, or one of the reasons, obviously, because there's like a lot of <laughs> moving parts. Um, but one of the reasons why they're taking so long to make a decision and why they really are, it seems like, weighing up every possible um, idea. Like, there's no stupid ideas in this situation. They want to hear everything is because they're looking at throwing it against the wall and seeing if it'll stick next year. Mm. And if you can use this scenario as you know a, a testing ground for something that you could bring in later like you say so they really it seems are invested in bringing something like extra to the either like the season with like an in-season tournament like we discussed a few weeks ago on the pod or with something like this like a playoff playing mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i feel like it's a bit the idea of using that down the line doesn't really strike me as a good one because i just feel like you know like if you draw the line at like the bottom two seeds of the playoffs and you're like well you technically are like a playoff seed but you didn't actually do enough to be a playoff seed guaranteed but that was the argument that we're having at the start of the season or the middle of the season where New Orleans were fully healthy at the end of the year and were playing well and had an easy rest of schedule and that's like well it's a bit of a bummer that Zion Williamson was injured is that just like tough tits or should they have a play-in tournament which Look, that, that'll get eyeballs because, you know, anytime there's elimination, people want to watch it. Mm. And let's say it's just a round robin with, like, one game elimination or maybe if you if you are the 7 and 8 seed, you get an extra chance and then the Sacramento and the, the New Orleans Pelicans get, you know, they they're, every single game they play is elimination. That would be fun. And at the end of the day, they want to make money and if that gets more eyeballs. Well, I mean, one thing in favour of it is... Um, the way that English soccer does their um, like promotion relegation for every mm. division but the top division. So any division where you can get promoted, um, the top two teams get automatic promotion and then the third through six all do like a little playoff. Yeah. And you go to Wembley in London, which is like the biggest like the biggest football stadium. It's where they have the FA Cup final and everything. So mm-hmm. it's like a really hallowed ground for English football. Um, and so yeah the finals played there and it does it does get eyeballs um, so if you, know. you lose you go down to the second division no no so if you lose you just stay where you are you just don't get promoted uh, so, yeah, get, so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a semi-final set up where you've got four teams they each you know, they're seeded three through six you know it's pretty much what this would be like and yeah, then yeah. you play at a neutral you play the, the final at a neutral venue yeah, how long does that take uh, it's all it's all done probably within like the space of ten days because you've only got to play rather than doing series it's just a you know you do um, just first leg out. and second leg in the semi final so it's two games but you do that like over the course of a week and yeah. then probably like a week later you know you do the actual final and that's just one game so it is it is cool and it is fun and people like you know people tune in all the time like if you're a fan of a Premier League club. And you don't really care what's going on in the second division because it doesn't really... It's like a good recap. It doesn't really, yeah, matter to you. You you still watch it. Everyone yeah. still, like, tunes in, you know. It's fun. <laughs> it's cool. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm torn because in, on the one hand, in, in soccer, it works really well and it's really exciting. But in the NBA, I just feel like it kind of flies against a lot of the established principles of American sport. So you care of the sanctity of the playoffs and the sanctity of the eighth seed. Call me a purist. <laughs> I just want to defend Orlando's right to get into the playoffs with a 30 and 35 record. You 
want history to repeat itself and you want Brandon Jennings to go against LeBron and Miami and say, yeah, we stand a chance that he'll be over in four games because we're going to sweep him. <laughs> you want that to happen rather than the upstart team that just couldn't get it together at the start of the season. Brandon Jennings was the upstart team. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> um, who was on that team? Let's just... Uh, 2012 Bucks. It was, it was um, Monte Ellis. It was Monte Ellis, Brandon Jennings. Uh, um... Steven Jackson on that team who was the big man uh, Larry Sanders Larry Sanders <coughs> that's uh, yeah stopped playing for uh, substance abuse I believe Ersan uh, Ilyasova in his prime <laughs> quite sad Tobias Harris yeah young Toby uh, Drew Gooden who was good at 2k uh, Samuel Dellenberg mm. that's a name mm. uh, Gustavo Ayon Gustavo Ayon Mexican very bushy eyebrows <laughs> And look, another prime uh, power forward, Luke Luke Amute. Why do I struggle to say his you name? You really struggled to say Jeez. that one. And JJ Reddick. God, that's um, that's really interesting. Yeah. Beno Beno Udrich. Udrich. All right. Well, let's move on. So Ooh, we've talked person. about we've we've talked about coronavirus. Um, obviously, we're talking with broad strokes here, and with each podcast we do, it'll be more and more you know honed in uh, as we get more information of what's going to happen uh, and the date is the day is Thursday when uh, Thursday in America so Friday for us when we're going to have some more real content to to understand so let's move on to something that I wrote about during the week which was Bradley Beal so I wrote an article based off a report from Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News that said that the Brooklyn Nets are internally discussing Bradley Beal trades and we we know that the Nets are interested in getting a third star because there seems to be this attraction for having three stars. I don't know what's wrong with having two, but they've they've clearly released this to the media, saying that they're like that. That's it's not really a report when you think about it. Like the fact that you're saying, "Hey, let's call Dante, the media guy, and let's tell him that we're actually thinking about trading for this guy." Like, what what do you gain from that? Because what, what I thought that you gained from it is you tell everyone that you're going for this guy, the players that are mocked in trades are going to be a bit like, well, hang on, am, am I going to be here next season? Like, am I going to be here? What's the point of playing once Corona's over? And then they also, you know, the Wizards are like, okay, well, we know that Brooklyn are trying to trade for him. Let's look at what they can give us. And then before Brooklyn's even picked up the phone to call Washington and say, hey, we want to offer you this trade, they actually already know what like the best deal they can get because they've actually just internally discussed it themselves. So you sort of, you, you lose the element of surprise, however much element of surprise there is. And I wrote an article for the blog on medium.com forward slash the deep two talking about potential trade packages. And in doing that little exercise, I found that Brooklyn didn't actually have the best trade package. Brooklyn, one of the strongest points for Brooklyn to actually get a deal done is because they're, as we know now, they're actually willing to make the trade. So if Golden State gets involved, that first overall pick or you know the, the top four pick that Golden State's going to get is automatically better than any of the assets that Brooklyn can give up. Um, I mocked up a trade with Sacramento that, in my opinion, looks better than what um, uh, Brooklyn's given up as well. So it's like... They are showing their hand, saying that they want this guy. Mm. Then you look around, everyone else has sort of got better deals, but it's like, are Brooklyn the only team that's going to actually try and trade for him? And if if a trade does get made, it'll be because Brooklyn have like sneaky gone up and said, oh, make this trade quick. 
But if Washington are like, hey, just let's put up the full sale sign and ask all 29 teams, then they're surely going to get a better deal than what Brooklyn's offering. So I don't understand this, Dante. Can you make it clearer for me? Well, the way that I read it, um, like you said, was that they're trying to kind of get this, get like, like kind of start like a real public and broad discussion of Bradley Beal trades with the confidence that they do have the best be- deal. So <laughs> the, best be- <laughs> the best deal. Well, it's true. They do have the best deal. Um, yeah, that way, if they if they can kind of kickstart things and make, you know, four or five other teams submit an offer or like just kind of sniff around, mm. then they're confident that they've got the best deal and Brooklyn and um, Washington will see that, oh, we can't do better than Brooklyn, like we'll, we'll do that. But like you said, it doesn't really seem like they've got the best deal at all. Mm. Um, what, was the, what was the um, deal that you thought... So it was mocked was up around um, Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert plus whatever peak compensation of the future. So I will get it up, but I'm pretty sure um, Brooklyn have a middling first round pick this year. I think if I am correct, it is Philadelphia's, um, but it's some pick in the late in the late twenties or early twenties. So you know, a first round pick that can draft you the next Karis LeVert if you're smart, or you know, whatever that may be. Um, and to make the to make the money work, they have to include uh, Rodion Kurix, who didn't play this season for reasons outside of basketball. He didn't play much, I should say. And like, if you're Washington, you're going to give up one of the best shooting guards in the league to get Karis LeVert, who is on the older side for a guy who's just at the end of his rookie contract. Yeah, he's 26, yeah. so he's kind of already there. This is who he is. Yeah, and he's not at the same level as Bradley Beal, Spencer Dinwiddie, who is also, I think, he's almost on the wrong side of 30 and with him you're going to get a really serviceable point guard who when you're playing with John Wall you're going to get a serviceable backup point guard so it's like you know what are you actually getting here you're not getting any of your assets that have the potential to be better than what you're giving up from Bradley Beal do you think that the Warriors package is is better which would involve what their, their first round pick this year and then either Wiggins or Draymond's contract plus filler uh, yes. I, I think it's I th- better. Because I actually, when reading your article, I actually thought that that is pretty low. I thought if they don't include the Minnesota... Um, next year's Next pick. year's Minnesota pick, that it, it wouldn't get done. I think you would need to go like Wiggins, Minnesota's 2021, as well as Golden State's 2020, but and then whatever you needed to salary map. That's in a normal bidding scenario where a superstar's up and it's like, everyone give me your best offer. I've put together this offer to beat Brooklyn. Yeah. So if if there is yeah. another bidder that can offer two picks as well, then Golden State can throw in the second pick, and I wouldn't be too interested in that one personally. Yeah. But this deal with their first round pick this year plus Andrew Wiggins, I believe, is better than what Brooklyn could offer today. Well, there's a good chance that Karis LeVert, if you looked at the Brooklyn package and the Golden State package that you've outlined, yeah. that Karis LeVert would be the best, end up being the best NBA player out of any asset in that package, including picks, because if Karis LeVert can stay healthy, there's potential for like a really efficient low 20s scorer, kind of like the ideal second scorer mm-hmm. on an offense, because he can shoot, he can get to the rim, he can handle the ball, he can work with the second unit. Mm-hmm a really versatile and valuable offensive piece. It's just that he can't stay healthy. But mm. this in this draft, 
you know, let's say that Warriors pick ends up being number three. Yeah. You know, if you told me that Lamelo Ball goes number three and he never is better than like Karis Levert's best season, like that's believable. And I'd rather, much rather have you know Karis Levert than Andrew Wiggins, just in terms of what they can actually do <laughs> on the basketball. I'm not going to argue against that. It's just, it's just that the injury history with Levert is so so troubling that yeah. you, if you're taking back him as like the best player in a deal for a dude who just averaged thirty six and six. Hmm. It doesn't really... Well, I think if you do that deal, you give out Bradley Beal, who... Bradley Beal has a 100% chance of being Bradley Beal, right? Yeah. And you get back Karis LeVert, who you could say has a 0% chance of being at Bradley Beal's level, yeah? Um, with that first-round pick, if it is LaMelo Ball or whoever that is, whoever they draft, does that player have a greater than 1% chance at being at Bradley Beal's level? Like, does LaMelo Ball have the chance to like yeah. hit and be amazing? Yeah. And it's non-zero... If you get Karis LeVert, you've got pretty much a 0% chance at getting a player back who is at the same level as Bradley Beal. Yeah, but I mean, if you want to start, you know, kind of throwing the percentages in, it's like maybe <laughs> Karis LeVert has a 50% chance to be an all-star in the East. But then it's like, yeah, well, yeah, what, yeah. Do, what percent chance does the number, th- does the number three pick have to be an all-star? Maybe it's only 20. But then, right. you've, then you've got a difference in philosophy where it's like, all right, we need to get this all-star so yeah. we can make the eighth seed every year or yeah. we should roll a die yeah, on Lamelo. It, depends if, you, yeah, it depends if you want an all-NBA player or Nikola Vucevic. <laughs> I personally don't think that they will trade him anytime soon because none of these deals are super appetizing. And unless someone like Denver comes in and says, we'll give you two firsts and your choice of Jamal Murray or Michael Porter, mm. which is not going to happen, mm. then, you know, or someone like... Um, yeah, but Denver does have the best offer if everything's yeah, on the table. Yeah, but, but they've both made both their primary assets unavailable. Yeah. The, the Pelicans could do something, you know, where they come in and they say, like, we'll give you Drew Holiday and... Um, Another ball. Yeah, Drew Holiday <laughs> will give you um, Sideshow Sideshow Jacks, Jackson Hayes <laughs> and, like, a first-round pick or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, a yeah. really good deal, but it just doesn't seem like that's there. So, what's the, like, fallback plan is that you just wait for your All NBA point guard to return, or yeah. I should say former All NBA <laughs> point guard to return, and you just roll it out. And yeah. if you get to the middle of next season, then and it's not working, or there's infighting, or whatever, you can trade. You can trade Bill then. Like the offers will still be there. Mm. You know. So I but, think yeah, going off that, that's why Brooklyn has announced this thing. They're trying to yeah. sort of nudge and dislodge Washington from their their plans that they're going to be a championship contending team when everyone's healthy because that's as a team that's what you have to do and say to your fans that we are a title contender it's just we're just unlucky with health you know what I mean yeah so good on Brooklyn for doing this and trying to have a bit of a niggle I don't think it's going to work because all indications are that Washington are going to bring back the bring back the band and in the second half of the pod we're going to be talking about notable free agents for this upcoming off season whenever that may be and one of the free agents is Davis Bertans who again all accounts say that Washington are keyed in to re-signing him whatever the whatever the number is yeah so it looks like they're going to bring the band back together we've spoken about this previously you don't think it's going to work I think let's wait and see but I yeah. also said Utah would win a title. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> we kind of touched on it a little bit before um, talking about the Warriors, but they're 
you know, multiple reports confirming what many people have long suspected, uh, which is that the Warriors... Kevon Looney is healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Looney. Um, but no, the Warriors, um, wherever their first round pick this year falls, um, that they'll, uh, they'll include that in trade discussions, mm-hmm. um, which is not, not a big surprise. Um, the last time there was kind of a situation like this was the 2017 Cavs when they had the Brooklyn pick that turned into the 8th overall pick which was who was it actually who was that player it was friend of the pod Colin Sexton (laughs) Um, so yeah yeah there was you know discussion about you know this elite team that ended up going to the finals um, and they've got this um, really valuable asset will they kind of like restock the cupboard with the young player or will they use that to um, build post LeBron. Yeah, build build on um, post LeBron. Um, so it's a similar situation here where you could see the Warriors drafting a young guy and then putting him into like the perfect ecosystem, like give him a very specific role and let them you know build slowly and just in two years time it could be Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and this amazing player or. You know, if someone like a Beal comes available or, you know, whoever the next superstar comes available, that's a pretty enticing, uh, pretty enticing pick. Yes. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) I don't don't think so. Can I give you a couple of, uh, a couple of scenarios? The the first one is Golden State gets Giannis because we're light years ahead and this has been in the works for years. But I'm not, I'm not going to mention that. You don't have to pick that one. Whatever you say, whatever you say. Would you trade this pick plus whatever other assets to get a Bradley Bill type and you're bringing in a star today, um, alongside Steph and Clay, or would you look at this like the 1998, uh, 1997 Spurs where they've just had an injured David Robinson They've tanked, got the first overall pick, uh, drafted Tim Duncan, and they've brought in Tim Duncan to play alongside their team that has just come back healthy, won a championship because Michael Jordan just retired the season before, and as you say, <coughs> bring a player into this perfect ecosystem. Tim Duncan in San Antonio might not have been there might not be a better, more perfect ecosystem than that. Is that you know it, it's. <laughs> It might not look as good on paper because back then you could play two traditional bigs together and those two bigs were great together. But can you draft a Lamelo ball and have this guy come in, play, like be a brilliant backup point guard for two seasons and then when Steph Curry is aging, he flips to the bench and then Lamelo ball is the, again, maybe a Kawhi Leonard type who's going to take the Spurs to the promised land before demanding a trade. Well, the difference between this scenario and the Spurs scenario is that Tim Duncan was like the best prospect mm. that had come out of the NBA probably, you know, like since the mid eighties, like it would, in terms of someone who was considered like the number one bona fide mm. overall pick, it was probably, um, Hakeem in 1985. That mm. was the, um, you know, that, that, um, like number one, like yeah. can't miss kind of guy. Um, and there's no one like that in this draft. You, you talk to yeah. five people, you have five different answers for who's the, <laughs> Number one, um, number one player, and because when I was when you said would you bring in like a trader for a Bradley Beal type, my initial answer is yes because the last time that they brought in you know like all NBA level caliber, all all NBA caliber player, it just worked and they won two championships, went to the yeah. finals three straight times. But part of that is because of the versatility that Durant offers, yeah. where you could you know play him at the three, the four, um, when he really really tried on defense, you could play him as you know like a small ball five. Yeah. 
Um, so if you were going to trade this pick, you would need to trade it for someone who's suitably versatile. And then the question becomes like, who is that player and w- will they become available? The answer is probably not. Yeah. So if you look at the guys who are at the top of the draft board, it's people like James Wiseman, um, Anthony Edwards, Killian Hayes, who all seem to do... Like, like they've got one thing that they do really well like Anthony Edwards is a shooter and a scorer Killian Hayes is like a um, you know like a finisher at the rim and like a really smart passer James Wiseman is an athletic big you've got Lamelo Ball all these guys who kind of have yeah there's no Zion Williamson there's no Zion but these guys are these guys are really really good at the things that they're good at and then seem to have like massive holds in their game with everything else so then it splits into two schools of thought either that you can put them in this great ecosystem where you only ask them to do what they're good at and bring them along slowly or you kind of look at it as they really do need that kind of like versatile presence that can kind of slide through multiple positions and do something well so it's like do you draft Obi Toppin? no well Obi Toppin can't play defence um, is, is, is what I'm hearing he's a sieve um, here you go I'm on the I'm on the ringers mock draft um, sorry, they're big board. They've got Obi Toppin at ninth, and the player comparisons that they've given him is Amari Stoudemire on offense and Jaleel Okafor on defense. <laughs> so another guy who, um, you know, does the one thing really well but has yeah. big, uh, like, big flaws. Yeah. What, I, what I could see is if they end up keeping this pick, they draft someone with, like, perceived lower ceiling but does one thing really well that you can just do so Uh maybe they draft a shooter I don't know I don't know enough about the upcoming um, no one knows enough about the upcoming draft yeah I don't know enough about the upcoming draft to say like who would be like maybe they draft like another wing shooter if Mm. their pick falls to four but there's not even there wasn't even a tournament to have Jar Morant like you know have his little run and play as well as he did like we didn't actually get to see you know, if like where where was John Morant before like the season started, the NCAA season started, like not not two. really in the conversation. And then he just popped out of nowhere. And let's say we go back to last season. Last season had the pandemic. So if you're like you know Philly and you draft this dude twentieth just because you think he looks good, and they're actually getting the second overall pick value because he didn't get a chance to show it. Yeah, that's it could that be it really could, upsets me. <laughs> could be yeah, it could be much more of a crapshoot, which is another reason why they might look to trade the pick, but also another reason why someone who's receiving that pick in return might not value it as highly. Yeah, which goes back to what I was saying before about having to potentially put in the Minnesota twenty twenty one pick because that draft is supposed to be better than this draft. Presumably there'll be no impacts of a global pandemic, so you'll be able to like go through a college season and evaluate properly, and mm-hmm. you know you'll know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. Just going back to that conversation started off the Warriors considering draft trades, which we all kind of knew, but we just love talking about it. Uh, last little bit of news, two bits of news. We'll just smash through the first one that Detroit is starting a search for GM to work along- alongside Ed Stefanski according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and Stefanski has had the role of senior advisor and has been running the team since 2018 when Stan Van Gundy was fired. Um, and the GM, who they will eventually sign, will be working alongside Stefanski and Dwayne Casey on personnel moves. I think we can just leave that there and move on to the more juicy one, which is Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> we'll be looking at all of these options and, quote, canvassing the league, according to... Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News, and this is also a, an article I wrote last week about 
whether Tom Tibbs is still worth the chase. And in my opinion, I'm not saying he shouldn't have a job and I'm not saying he shouldn't be a head coach. I just don't think he should be that elite level coach, especially when the names that are in the running for Tibbs, uh, New York, obviously, and Brooklyn and the Houston Rockets. And it makes you think, well, hang on a minute, Houston Rockets already have one of the best coaches in the league. And I think every single team that has an open head coaching spot this season, heading into this uh, next season, if you're going in and then Houston fire D'Antoni and hire Tibbs, I think everyone should just jump on the D'Antoni train. And then we'll be looking at the D'Antoni as, quote, canvassing the league after half the, half the league has offered him a job. So I think that's what I find most interesting about this. If D'Antoni leaves and goes to, like, Brooklyn, like, imagine that. That would be awesome with, like, two elite weapons and Bradley Beal slash Karis LeVert. Uh, I like that. What are your thoughts on Tibbs canvassing the league? I think that teams should definitely do their due diligence and look at everyone available. But I think any team that comes to the conclusion that this is the guy um, is kind of kidding themselves. The 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 big thing, you know, apart from um, like track record in Minnesota, which after one successful season, it didn't go well at all mm-hmm. after that, um, partly because of his inability to manage relationships between players and with players. Um, if you're, you know, the Nets who, you know, have been rumored to be in for this or, um, Houston say like teams with established stars, how do you, how, how do you see that, that relationship going? How do you see like Russell Westbrook (laughs) reacting to Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau, you know, and and Tom Thibodeau is like yelling at James Harden, like play defense, don't do this, don't do that. And it's like, it it just doesn't sound like it's going to fit, you know, not to jump on like the player empowerment bandwagon, but you need... It seems like now more than ever, you need someone who's going to like talk to you as an equal and in like a respectful way. And not to say that Tim <laughs> doesn't do all that, but it's pretty clear that a lot of his relationships with his best players have soured through the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, know, you know, But the ones that haven't soured have followed him everywhere, whether it be Joakim Noah or Taj Gibson or Derek Rose signing wherever the hell Tim's coaches. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, like, that's true, but, you know, like... Joakim Noah and Derek Rose had pretty drastic drop-offs. Yeah. Not to say that you know Rose's ACL has anything to do with Tibbs' coaching style, but the knock on Tibbs has always been that he plays his top dudes like incredible minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Just I feel like it just like like hiring Tibbs kind of flies in the face of every direction that the league is going in, but not in a way that feels like a really smart zig where everyone's zagging. Mm. It feels like you're just kind of like clinging to a relic from a past age because it's like he's there. It's also a bit of a PR layup and it's easy because if you're a team like New York and you sign, uh, you just sign generic coach X, right? Mm. Like let's say you sign like a Brad Stevens or David Blatt, Mm. not those names, but someone like that, everyone's going to be like, oh, I don't know about this European dude. Can he do it? Mm. Or go into Brad Stevens. I don't know about this college coach. There's Mm. always questions. But if you sign Tom Thibodeau, everyone knows that he can coach and you pretty much just get to breathe a sigh of relief until it stuffs up and blows up in your face, if it does, because you get to sit there and go, well, look, man, can you blame us? Like, we signed a guy who has a proven track record of being good in 2011. Like, why would why would this go wrong? Like, this is what we've been doing for the last four years with the Knicks. Um, one thing that scares me is Leon Rose. 
saying in, in that article by Stefan Bondi saying that he really likes Tibbs' coaching style and he really likes that he's a hard worker and he like grinds with the guys, mm. which is like, oh man, like <laughs> Zooey Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Zooey Mama indeed. It's it, they're all um, they're all good qualities. Like the things that Tibbs is espoused for, work ethic, commitment to the game, you know, passion, intensity. They're all good qualities in a coach and I don't think that you'd find any successful coach in NBA history who didn't have those but it just seems like it's taken to like an unhealthy extreme Mm. with that sort of thing and you know I don't want to see a world in which RJ Barrett is run to the ground by Tom Thibodeau in New York I've said it twice before on the pod I'll say it again I really want my RJ to have a situation in which he can succeed and which we can actually see if he's good or not. I don't want it to be, you know, from external sources. And I don't want RJ to be the next Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Don't hire Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> I mean, hire him, but maybe not as your head coach and maybe not with a young developer. He's not team. taking an assistant an assistant yeah. role. Well, what it kind of reminds me of is... Um, in um, the NFL, there's a coach called Mike McCarthy who coached the Packers for like like 10 or 12 years. Maybe, probably more actually, probably 15. Anyway, uh, he had Aaron Rodgers on his team for that entire time, who was like one of the best quarterbacks ever. Won a Super Bowl really, really early. And then later on in his tenure, just kind of got really stale and he stopped innovating and just got stuck doing the same things and their team got worse and worse and worse till eventually they fired him took a year off now he's the coach of the Cowboys like one of the biggest teams like basically like the Knicks of um, the NFL just like a cultural uh, like a cultural icon and the whole thing about it was he spent this year off like you know studying and innovating and visiting with really innovative coaches and incorporating their ideas into his games and it's Mm -hmm. like Everyone kind of thinks that he's just going to rock up and be shit again because he had a four-year track record of not doing the things that he said, um, not doing the things that you look for, like innovation and like, you know, cutting edge game plans and, you know, really, really in-depth stuff. This kind of feels like that. So The Ringer, um, your your friend Haley O'Shaughnessy wrote a really good piece, I think, two days ago, which is called The... um, the five stages, the five steps to every every Tom Thibodeau coaching cycle. And in it, there's multiple quotes about like front office people being like, yeah, he spent his time away from the game really innovating. And it's like, this is not an innovative dude. This is a dude who came up with a defensive scheme in 2000 and what, like five, spent three years perfecting it, won a championship, and then has clung to that scheme since then yeah. you know 12 years ago that he was an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics yeah. you know and that defensive scheme is still um, you know like 12 years ago is practically pre-3 you know yeah. like the defensive scheme it, it clearly didn't work um, and you see, see that in Minnesota um, where they were like routinely bad like they finished like in the middle like, like middle mm. middle of the league in defense every year mm. um Despite, so despite I just I just don't him. buy it. I just don't buy that this guy who did one thing for so long got fired because he was bad at his job, and then all of a sudden is like, yeah, like I'm now like I've turned into Brad Stevens. 
Yeah. I had a year away from the game and like now I'm Brad Stevens. Now I'm like fucking Steve Kerr. Like yeah. I'm ready to come out here and just be like, you know, like, it doesn't happen like that. Well, one thing that I do remember is being, listening to lots of, I love Summer League, right? Yeah. And I love listening to podcasts all around Summer League and just like, I love the whole thought of it. And I remember a couple of guys, a couple of Warriors guys I listened to uh, said that in Steve Kerr's first year, um, coaching the summer league that 2016 year where he won the championship um, you know he was hanging out with Tom Thibodeau a lot and then they said they're like hang on have you noticed that Tibbs is just like walking around talking to everyone and then he's just like you know hanging out with Steve Kerr a lot and then after he had been fired again he's back at summer league he's hanging out with this coach and that coach and he was like he had a he had a cup of tea in Charlotte and was just like hanging out around Charlotte and not exactly like the hive of innovation um <laughs> But yeah, so I have heard the report similar to that coach that I forgot his name in the NFL. <laughs> Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Um, that there, he is doing that and there are reports that say that he is, you know, trying to change his game because he understands that it isn't the way to go. But then just the, the final sentence that I, I included in my article, the fact that Leon Rose is hiring because he's hard-nosed and will play his guys hard. Like that's just sort of you've done everything right until the end like it's it's like hang on you've just yeah you've reversed all the goodwill and good karma that you've sort of given me by you know saying that you're hanging around all these innovative teams and doing x y and z so i i agree with you i don't think he's but prove us wrong yeah prove us wrong but don't do it on the knicks do it somewhere else (laughs) go go to i don't know go somewhere bad like have the magic fire steve clifford and then he can go there he's a perfect coach for the magic because yeah. he'd eke everything out of them. They'd play okay defense <laughs> and they'd be the eighth seed. It'd be it's perfect. Hang on. Where they are now. Is that different? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on to this upcoming free agent class, we're going to take a quick break. Hi guys, Sean here. Just quickly saying, if you haven't already, to please follow us on all of our socials. So we've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and a little bit of a deep two special. We've also got a LinkedIn page if you're that way inclined. And if you want to support the pod, the best things you can do is yes, follow all those pages, but also if you could give us five star ratings on iTunes, as well as follow the podcast on Spotify or whatever you do on Google Podcasts. I don't know anyone that uses Google Podcasts, but good on you if you're doing that. So let's get back into it. Or for those people listening on 1.5 or two times speed, let's get back into it. So we're going to take a look at the upcoming free agency class, which includes some pretty big names, Anthony Davis, Gordon Hayward, Hazan Whiteside. But <laughs> a lot of the players in this class have uh, either team options or player options that can take them off the market. So... Um, or in the case of Davis, someone who's an unrestricted free agent, it seems almost guaranteed that he's going to return to the Lakers. But that still leaves a lot of interesting names left. Uh, so we thought that we would just kind of have like a little bit of a deep dive and see what's what's what with the upcoming guys who might be moving around. Um, Davis is the big one. And like I said, it seems like an almost guarantee that he's going to stay put in LA. But Given the fact that we've seen many, many stars in recent years, um, including his teammate LeBron and his crosstown rivals Paul George and Kawhi, not opting in for a full five-year max when they've had the chance, um, he might take Jill LeBron route and take a, a one-year deal, or he could take a uh, like a two-plus-one with the player option. So there's a lot of kind of permutations related to Davis, uh, Davis's deal, and the future of the 
constructed the, the future construction of the Lakers mm. so if Anthony Davis signs for three years so similar to what LeBron did when he got there so if you can do a three plus one when that contract is up and he opts out in that last season he will be at 10 years of service which means he's eligible for the Supermax and he can make since he would have been on the Lakers for more than three years he can make a fuck ton of money and like he you know deservedly should be paid that much money uh, whether he wants to do that, and if he does that, he's locking into being alongside LeBron for the rest of LeBron's contract. And you would assume by now, like looking at it right, right now, that LeBron wants to be with the Lakers for the rest of his career, assuming. Um, so if Anthony Davis is here for the long haul, doing a three plus one would be smart. Get to three years, sign the Supermax, spend the rest of your life in a Lakers jersey. Or he can do the one plus one, keep dancing, dancing, dancing. The problem with that is that we don't know what the cap's going to do. We're operating under 109 million, which was the projected number at the start of this season. We don't know how coronavirus is going to affect that. Obviously, it's going to affect it negatively. And the China Daryl Morris saga, which has kind of been glossed over with coronavirus taking the front seat. Um, what do you do? Because if you do the one year, one plus one dance, what if the salary cap keeps getting lower because you're getting a percentage of the, that cap, you're just going to keep losing money, which is like, you know, no one's crying for a guy making $30 million losing a couple of mil. But for him, if you're trying to maximize your value and your earnings, what do you do? <laughs> it's a toughie. Because <laughs> you... Uh, do you remember a few years ago when there was that whole kind of like momentum push one off season where everyone was saying like you never know like these guys might take the qualifying offer or they might take like a one year deal it was like like dudes coming up like from the end of their rookie deal and there was like DeAndre Jordan was going to take you know he was going to take like a, a one year deal instead of a four year deal so that he could then have access to all the money in the summer of 2016 like all these different things people were saying Porzingis was going to take the qualifying mm. every single player who's if that's ever been said about ended up taking the longer deal like everyone wants to opt in for the security so mm-hmm. if Davis is like you know what like we, there's so much uncertainty I know I'm where I want to be I know that right now I can make 35 million dollars a year for the next five years mm. life changing money why not just opt in you know like if the difference is that you make 35 million for three years and then make 45 for another five years like it's a lot of money when you think about it, but it just kind of goes you know, to the point and it's impossible for us to say how he and other superstar players of his ilk look at this. But like, you know, if you, if you have 350 million career earnings versus, you know... 340. 300, yeah, 340. Like it's... Money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. When, Especially when you factor in everything that's fucking going on at the moment. Like <laughs> not only with the NBA, but the world. Potentially, would just want to lock in. Uh, I've got a guaranteed hundred and eighty million dollar contract, mm-hmm. and I'll take that to the bank. Okay, well, uh, yeah, we both think he's going to resign with the Lakers no matter what. But if you're this, this goes across all the players that we're going to talk about. Do you think players will prioritize security and longer term deals? Like obviously, it's case by case basis. But the next player on the list that we're going to talk about is Gordon Hayward, who has an injury history. He has a player option for $31 million this coming season. 
he if he goes out in the open market, I don't know who's going to pay him $30 million a season. Boston no most one. likely wouldn't re-sign him for near that number, especially mm-hmm. when you've got the two young wins, wings coming up behind him. Does If you're him, do you cash in on that one $30 million season? And then what if his knees are bad again? What if he has another catastrophic injury? And then for the rest of his career, he just makes minimums, which is, again, no one's going to cry for a guy who just made $30 million. But for him, would you rather... A bit like... Bit like what I'm going to say with Paul Millsap as well. Would you rather get one year be a one big deal for this year, or would you rather sort of flatten it out but make more money over five years? Well, it kind of depends on where he views himself. Like where how you know Millsap's kind of. I think Millsap will probably opt out and take a longer deal if I had to. Yeah, has it a guess just because he's 35. Well, you have to have a guess. We're going to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> he's uh, he's 35, Hayward 30. Mm. So if Hayward kind of views this as the the back nine of his career, maybe he does opt out and take like a, you know, four-year $80 million deal somewhere. Um, and that rides him out through to when he's ready to retire. Maybe he plays another year, another couple of years on like vet minimums and goes ring chasing or whatever. Um, someone like Horford last year did exactly what we're talking about where he was looking great he had a big he had a big big number opted out and took less annual um, salary but you know um, more total value over a longer Mm. period of years and yeah you're right that looks fucking great for him because he's getting 27 a year for not much he's getting um, for every point that he averages he's getting over $2 million. So, anyway. Um, I think Gordon Hayward is definitely going to pick up that option. See, I, I think he is as well. The the basketball, and this is the difficulty with assessing it right now, is that in terms of the basketball reasons why he would or wouldn't, I actually think there's a really compelling case for him to not pick it up because at the moment he's the fourth offensive option. Um, and it's pretty, pretty clear there's not really much room for movement because the of the three dudes above him in the pecking order two of them are young enough that the organization's just saying like did the next 10 years like you are our future so of course we're going to prioritize you mm. Jalen Brown almost made an all-star team and Kemba and Tatum are pretty good bets to be on Tatum's a lock Kemba's a pretty good bet to be on an all-NBA team mm. so you're talking about three of the best 25 guys in the league are on the one team mm. you're quite clearly the fourth guy mm. I don't know. Thirty-one million is, is is like if it was a twenty-five million, maybe it's different. Because but thirty-one million is far and away more than what he'd get, you know, in in an average season um, yeah. from anyone else. But I kind of want to see him just like be like, no, I don't want to be the fourth string. I've got four more good years in me. I'm going to go take less money somewhere else. But then it's just like, who? Like, well, where does that money come from? Well, let me tell you where that money's Please coming from. So say Miami. Please say Miami. Danny LaRue, at the start of this last season, had what he called the fall on five, which was mm. Atlanta, Charlotte, New York, Memphis, and Cleveland. And they were the fall on five because they were the five teams with legitimate cap space to, without making any significant moves, had enough cap space to sign a max free agent and you know not interrupt their team but they were the full on five because they happened to be five of the worst teams in the league. That five has sort of morphed this season as Memphis have become too good to be full on and they've actually traded and destroyed their salary cap space. They've traded for Justice Winslow and James Johnson in that Miami trade, which is fair because, you know, as we're going to go through, there are no max level free agents that are going to sign in Memphis, you know? So 
the fall on five right now is now a fall on four, which is Atlanta, Detroit, after they got off um, Andre Drummond, Charlotte still, and New York still. So those four teams, Atlanta, Detroit, Charlotte, and New York, have enough space without significantly impacting their roster to sign a max uh, free agent, or in Atlanta's case, I think it's just under two max free agents. Mm. Does Gordon Hayward go to Atlanta and say, hey, I know I'm not on your timeline, but can you give me more annual value and I'll play the three and don't even worry about DeAndre Hunter. Like, I don't think he's good either. Let's just let's just play me. I don't think that's I don't think that's like a good example, but if it was Charlotte, then you know, it's like because the draft capital that they've committed to their wing position in Atlanta like means that those guys yeah. are going to get a fucking go. Yeah. You know, the only way that those guys aren't going to be playing is if they get traded for someone that's definitely better. But Charlotte, with no like discernible plan, sounds like they could definitely see, you know, like, I'm sorry, Miles Bridges, but you're not, <laughs> you haven't held it down on the wing. Yeah. Malik Monk, you're not the true guard of the future. So, you yeah. know, bringing someone in like Hayward on like a $80 million over four years seems like a reasonable move. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that would be cool because Hayward get, would get to average, you know, like 26 and six and play on a, they'd be, <laughs> they'd be competing for a playoff spot because they're doing that now. Obviously it's an East playoff spot. So you're going to take it with like a fucking and there's 500 be a, gram <laughs> packet of salt. But there's, there's going to be a play in as well, of course, for the next five years. <laughs> but Hayward, you know, like that would be, that'd be kind of cool. My, my like dream scenario for this would be if Hayward opts in or if he opts out and then signs like the number that I keep, the number that I think is reasonable, I keep coming back to is 20 a year. If he opts out and then signs that sign and trade with Miami, you can use the salaries of Kelly Olynyk and James Johnson to match. They both have player options, but they're definitely going to opt in. Um, you know, you could cobble together if if he opts out and signs that twenty, or if he even if he stays in, you could cobble together matching salary. I don't know. It'd be cool. Imagine like imagine yeah. Gordon Hayward backing up Jimmy Butler, like feeding the ball to Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn. Uh, Nah, yeah, no. I'm, I'm into it. Imagine Gordon Haywood in those Miami Vice jerseys. <laughs> My juices are flowing. My, Miami has cleared the cap space to go after Giannis next season. They're not gonna, yeah. they're not gonna stuff up their cap space aspirations for Giannis to get Gordon Haywood, a guy who they wanted four years ago. What was it four years ago? Three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. For a guy who's now thirty years old and nowhere near an MVP caliber player. They've got aspirations to get Giannis, and they're not going to they're not going to settle for medium before they've even had a chance to get him. It's fair. I just think <laughs> it would be cool because this is this just in. They're not going to get Giannis. All right, uh, let's move on to the next player, which is Demar Derozan, who has a twenty-seven million a guy. Guy <laughs> has, has a twenty-seven million dollar player option uh, with the Spurs next season. That I think he is definitely going to pick up. Yeah, there's no way he doesn't take it. But it's an interesting thought experiment if you didn't. So allow me to continue. Um, when like when thinking about this contract, the thing that really struck me is if you said five, even five years ago, you don't know who it is, but you can guess from the numbers I'm about to say that it's a wing player. Someone puts up twenty two point six and then five point six and five point six. That's the line. Shoots almost fifty percent from the field. Every team would be like, where is he? Show me the guy. I want him on my team. But it's like now it's DeMar DeRozan and it's like he effectively plays like a power forward. You know, like a post-up power forward from 10 years ago, but except he's a two guard. 
what what is the market for that player? Because definitely the Spurs have allowed him to stop shooting threes and they've got Aldridge shooting threes, so they've kind of inverted that. Cool. But when he was in Toronto and they were like, dude, you have to shoot threes, his career best three-point percentage is something like 33. So... A very small attempts as well. Yeah, on, on like two attempts a game, you know? Like, it, it, they were like, please just shoot enough that the defense has to actually, like, respect you. But 33, it's nothing, you know? It's like... They're non... You know, like, so it's like Aaron Bain's career three-point percentage, you know? So he, he's effectively like a positionless monster, but in a really bad, like in the opposite of a Giannis way, you know, <laughs> Giannis is positionless in a good way, DeRozan is positionless in a bad way. If he take, if he, if he declines it, which he won't, but you know, say that he picks, say he picks it up and then next off season, like summer of 2021. Yeah. What? Even if he might put up the same numbers again, cause he's a good player. He's good at what he does, but who, so the does summer someone of- offer him, yeah. Does someone offer him ten million? Like I, I, I don't know what his market is. Does Orlando say like we'll pay you? Does Orlando say we'll give you four years and eighty million? Like I, I don't know. The dude. Do you want me to tell you who does? Two years ago, the dude was a fucking All NBA player, and now we're like, yeah, like I don't know who pays him ten million. It's crazy. Tell uh, me. Well, going back to the four on five. That's going to be my catchphrase uh, yeah. this episode. New York is one of the four and five because next season they've got enough cap space to sign two max free agents because, as you know, New York always gets major free agents, so they need the cap space and they can't develop the young players. Yeah. Um, if DeRozan picks up this player option, which we think he will, and he has another season of the same, like 25 and 5, and New York have just, you know, blown out trying to get Giannis and like all these different guys and they've blown out again, their consolation prize will be overpaying DeMar DeRozan. I, for some reason, I've always imagined DeMar DeRozan in a New York jersey. That's some consolation. <laughs> <laughs> but can you see that? Yeah, no, I can't, to be honest, because I don't think that anyone, even the Knicks, would be able to talk themselves into giving that much money. Never underestimate how stupid the Knicks are. I know, but never under like like. I don't know. Demar Derozan just seems so unappetizing. Yeah, and he'll be thirty-two by the time he hits the market. Yeah, I don't think, especially considering that at the moment, after one season, RJ Barrett is like Demar Derozan heavy. <laughs> um, like he can't shoot threes can handle the ball gets like gets to the rim shoots free throws like that's kind of the mold I don't think they'd be able, even they'd be able to talk to themselves into giving a four year max or something near the max for a 32 year old dude mm-hmm. it's just crazy because the numbers and the accolades in recent years like it's not like this dude was good five years ago like, and it's not like he's not still good now but mm-hmm. just he just doesn't fit into Today's NBA. Today's NBA and, and the, the the idea of what today's NBA means has kind of changed so quickly that he's just been left behind. Well, now it's just a way to put down Jalil Okafor. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, like a, a morphing insult. This right. guy's like a six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA player, made like, you know, made the conference finals twice as the best player on the team because he was better than Kyle Lowry. The dude averaged 27 and a half points on a conference final team two years ago. And now we're talking about him like this. So you've actually got a soft spot, soft spot for him, so this is hard for you. Yeah, well, I'm just, <laughs> it's not even hard for me. I'm just confused. Someone someone help, please. We'll, we'll, 
we'll recoup next season okay. once he's picked up the player option. And right. it, it will be interesting to see where he goes. Um, next player on the list is Hassan Whiteside. And you haven't even written the, his numbers down here. You've just written everyone hates him. I wrote one number. Uh, Hassan, what's that? Uh, out of 77 qualifying centres, Whiteside ranked 65th in defensive rating. But he led the league in blocks because he loves hunting for 2K stats. He led the league in blocks and wasn't even close. He had 3.1 per game and Brook Lopez finished second with 2.4. Wow, so they must have such an incredible in, similar impact on defense. <laughs> so Hassan Whiteside is just finishing up on his last year, uh, making $24.6 million a year. He is 31 years old. He's unrestricted. Anyone can have him. Uh, at the team he's on right now, might not want him because their starting center, Yusuf Nurkic, is coming back. Did Yusuf Nurkic play a game before the lockdown? I don't think so. I think he was just about to come around the corner, but... Mm. So we didn't actually get to see if Sam Whiteside is happy and you know grumpy coming off the bench. But where does he go? Does he sign a minimum? Does he look for the most money and go back to one of the full-on five? Uh, I'm just going to point out that Atlanta has their center of the future. Uh, in air quotes, Detroit has at least a center that they're going to re-sign in Christian Wood, which we'll talk about soon. Charlotte. This seems like a perfect destination for Hassan Whiteside and New York, of course. Every player that you and I don't like, we can just send him to New York. The other thing as well, though, is that everyone... I've, I've written in the notes, everyone hates him, which is true because in Miami, Spolster was like, look, dude, I'm just... like I just can't play you. You are just such a fuckwit <laughs> and you just... like You hunt blocks, you ruin our defensive skin. Like, I, I just can't play you. Everyone turned against him in that locker room. Miami was so, so desperate to get rid of him. They couldn't even believe their luck when Portland's like, hey, we'll take him. Same kind of vibe in Portland. No one really likes him. Their defense isn't really better with him, um, regardless of the fact that he leads the league in blocks. But the fact that he does lead the league in blocks is going to be you know, like a negotiating tool and I can yeah, guarantee you that Hassan Whiteside thinks Hassan Whiteside is the best defensive centre in the league well can I just say one thing I remember remember when Hassan Whiteside first started playing really well in Miami and it mm. was really wholesome because mm. he'd come from Israel I think he was playing in like a he was drafted with the 31st pick by the Kings but and he, then played like five games and then went yeah went overseas. Yeah, he played in the Middle East if I'm correct if I'm correct and when he came back to Miami and remember it was when Snapchat was really big and everyone added it to some white side of Snapchat and he used to hang out with DJ Khaled and DJ Khaled would be like another one hanging out with some white side do you remember that no I've not really been big on Snapchat okay so it was pretty much it was when I was 16 and yeah every single night it was like hilarious because some white side was just like smoking a cigar with DJ Khaled and then I remember he got that new well, I remember so much about this actually <laughs> I remember he um, bought the new Samsung phone um, remember the one that was like said to explode and like it can actually combust yeah so someone else had picked up he's like oh man I got a grenade and he started throwing it at his friends because he had like the Samsung Galaxy phone that's pretty funny that he literally just bought for that Snapchat um, and I also remember watching uh an NBA top 10, you know, that dude yeah. who does his voices over it. Yeah. Um, and he said, Chris Bosch moved to the four because in Hassan Whiteside, you have a defensive anchor. And it was just like the number one player of the, of the night was him blocking it into like the third row. Right. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Like, cause it rhymes. And I love that dude. I wish we should ask him to come on the pod, man. I'm gonna is, write it that I, down. is it Iron Eagle? 
The guy who does the voice. I don't know. Um, I think it is. Let me just write that note down. But yeah, it was, there was so much goodwill that this dude came in after playing in Israel and like all these other leagues. And he came into Miami and was playing really well. And everyone just turned on him because he's actually terrible for team chemistry. So, Because, yeah, there's mounting evidence that he's a, not a good dude. Yeah. And that no one likes him. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know. He's another one of these dudes who kind of like defies like what the market will be. But like, I can't say anyone serious. So the full on four excluded. <laughs> giving him big money. Like maybe he gets like eight million. Yeah, but he's just finished exception. up a 24 million dollar contract and he led the league in blocks so you try telling him that he's worth 8 million and well, see what he he's says. just going to have to suck it up and Probably. maybe he re-signs with um, with Portland for the mid-level exception yeah. like just a league average contract so because you know by all accounts it's not like anyone hates him there <laughs> but then does he want to if he wants to start because he leads the league in blocks and he's a good backup center if he's got him backing up Nurch from a pure basketball perspective that's that's really good yeah this it'll be interesting but I think it will be somewhere along the mid-level and if he wants to start he's probably going to have to go to New York or someplace like yeah. that um, alright let's move on to another center who's in a similar boat but people like him <laughs> Andre Drummond uh, has a player option for $28 million with the Cleveland Cavaliers this season, which is still weird to say. We didn't actually see him wear a Cleveland jersey that that much. But Andre Drummond, uh, there was a report a couple of weeks ago that we put on the, the Deep 2 socials that he is almost a sure thing to pick up this player option. And he would be silly not to because in today's NBA, Jalil Okafor sucks. And... <laughs> I don't think he's going to get $28 million anywhere. This is, you know, it's sort of turning into the the free agency of options that everyone's picking up. So I don't really see anything else saying, unless, again, I'll bring up New York and Charlotte and something like that and say, look, if he opts out, then he can probably make more money going to New York for a longer years. But I don't think that's what he wants to do. He's now the best player on a really average team in the Central Division, which has been the, the same has been true for most of the last five years when he was with Detroit. So nothing's changed. He's going to average 16 and 14 and like a block and a half and he's going to shoot 47% from the line and he's going to cash 28 million this season and see what his, see what his options are in the off-season of 2021. Bummer. Bummer. Well, let's move on to a guy who I think is going to be one of the hottest. Um, I've got him second to someone who I've just added at the end there, but mm. I think he's going to be one of the hottest free agents just because of, not because he's the best player, but because he can fit in almost any situation. And that's Derek Favors. Um, he's currently he's currently on the Pelicans and had a bit of an up and down season. I think someone in his family passed away and he missed a few games for for personal reasons and then obviously Derek Favors wherever he goes has always been a little bit of an injury concern he's got those nagging injuries that he misses here and there but when he did play he was a good player and New Orleans were good with Derek Favors on the court and New Orleans has nothing to lose by maybe overpaying him for one season saying hey come back like you know we're not going to do anything with that cap space this season especially because everything that's going on with coronavirus and whatnot so 
I think he is going to go back to New Orleans. They're going to offer him the most money because they've got nothing to lose with their money this season. They don't have any free agency aspirations. And he's not the sort of player like Hassan Whiteside where you could see one of the forlorn four, um, especially in Atlanta and Detroit, but Charlotte and New York saying, oh, let's overpay this role player because New York has already done that for like five different players. So I think he's going to go back to New Orleans, but it'll be interesting because he's a guy that everyone needs, like my Golden State Warriors as well. Yeah, I feel feel like this iteration of Derek Favors is just like made to be a high-end role player on a playoff team. Mm-hmm. He just fits perfectly. Um, and he just does he does everything they need to do well. He's smart by all accounts. He's a really good chemistry guy, a really good locker room guy. So you can kind of see him fitting in to a scenario like he is in New Orleans where he can do a bit of mentoring for some younger players and be a role model or you could see him, you know, fitting in in a situation where he joins a team with like established stars and just you know he's an adult in the room joining other adults like he will be a real hot commodity um i i, I was kind of thinking of a scenario in which if um la ends up losing the highest bench score in the league montrez harrell Derek favors might be a really really good and cheap replacement mm-hmm. um i like that yeah but i think if you're going to lose montrez harrell there's no way you're going to get back a guy of montrez harrell's caliber so even though Derek favors is one of the better players on the market that's still a loss sadly oh no definitely but it's you know less of a loss than just losing, losing well Harrell's should we out. should we move on to that montrez harrell yeah um we so the Clippers can re-sign both Marcus Morris and Montrose Harrell and you know, essentially pay them more than anyone else. They'll go into the tax, but they've got one of the richest owners and richest people in the world who are happy to pay the tax and happy to go nuts on the sidelines. Uh, I'm going to assume that they're willing to pay, but if Montrose Harrell, who is unrestricted, has more uh, you know, higher aspirations for himself, where do you think he could go? Is it a case of going to one of the fall-on five? and putting up like 30 points a night in New York? I think he needs a really strong ecosystem around him to kind of thrive because as good as he's been the last two years where he's been one of the best couple of bench players in the league, like he might be sixth man of the year this year, he hasn't really been asked to do much. It's like grab offensive boards, get putbacks and be a really really good role man in the pick and roll he's a better passer than a lot of people think so he's kind of more um you know has a bit more offensive ability than he gets to show a lot of the time but he he, he's not a good defender he's really undersized yeah he's a little dinosaur yeah yeah (laughs) little dinosaur short arms i like that um i think the only players that i could see him going and kind of like succeeding would be another like stacked it's hard to find star, two but it is, as it good. Is, yeah, exactly. Like if, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna do that, you're just you're just stay put. And the Clippers will pay him. Yeah, they'll pay him. So I think he, I think he probably just stays put. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of staying put, let's move on to Paul Millsap. Is it all right if we skip Tristan Thompson? Yeah, it's okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really wedded to, to Tristan Thompson. Uh, Paul Millsap has a thirty million dollar team option that he signed um, as part of that three years, ninety million dollars with Denver. And he is, how old is he? He's quite old, yes. I think he's... 35. 35. And as we spoke with on the podcast with Adrian Ganella on the Denver Nuggets, this was sort of supposed to be the changing of the guard where Jeremy Grant comes in and slowly takes over that um, starting four role, which didn't happen because Paul, Paul Millsap is still 
more versatile a player when it comes to having a consistent shot and being able to switch onto players and defend. But you assume that with every day that passes, he's just going to get worse and worse and worse because he is on the wrong side of 30. So Wrong side of 35. <laughs> so I... Denver can't really do much and go out and sign like a Montrose Harrell type or someone like that but they could decline this team option and then sign him to maybe a five-year deal and maybe you just spread out $45 million across those five years and five years from now he's not going to be worth that but you've just sort of gotten that $30 million team option and flattened it he's going to retire in Denver that's where he's born Um, well he's born in Colorado that's where he grew up um, or you could pick up this team option and say, hey, you're not worth $30 million right now. We're not going to do anything else with the money. We'll give you the money. We'll pick up your option. That's great. But then for the following seasons, if you still want to be here, you're going to have to take a discount, take a little bit of a pay cut, um, and obviously you're going to take a, a roll cut as well. So do you like both those scenarios, and which one would you prefer? I would definitely prefer not to pay a 35-year-old role player $30 million. But the right. only the, the the plus side I can see in them picking up the option is that you've got a ready made matching salary for a trade. Yeah. If you yeah. pick it up. Like that's that's Bradley Beal's salary right there. You know. Mm. I know that the Denver no, you know, I know Denver's probably not gonna be an option realistically for a Beal trade because of what we talked about earlier where they've taken their two best assets off the table completely. But whoever it is that has a $30, $35 million salary, like that's the match right there, Paul Millsap. You, you, you say when we're picking it up, but like, look, dude, we can't guarantee that you're going to be here. Or you or you say, you know, would you prefer us to pick up the option and we'll probably trade you? Or you take that and flatten it. I think they probably wouldn't give him five years, but maybe three years. Yeah, you give him, you know, three like, years, 30. Yeah, three years, 30 or something like that. And no one else is going to beat that in the open market because... Yeah, no and one, he clearly no means a lot to the organisation. Clearly... The he's, first free agent to come. Yeah, he's a well he's team. a well-liked guy. He probably wants to be there, like you said, like that's where he's from. Like, you know, it's par for the course for an old dude to not, you know, pick up that final one season payday and just kind of spread it out a little bit. Mm. A lot of goodwill, you know, this This is why Denver have that thing saying we're not skipping steps and this is why they pay Jamal Murray a year before they have to and why they're doing all these good things for their guys and they, they decline Nikola Jokic's last um, last option on his, on his rookie deal so they could give him the max a year early and lock yeah. him in because you have wholesome scenarios that we're talking about right now where yeah. we say, oh, Paul Millsap, of course he's going to come back, they've treated him well and yeah. he has a role. And he's probably not going to be starting next season, but that's fine. Yeah. That's, it's nice. It's nice to have a good story, isn't it? It is nice. <laughs> Who do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about Davis Bertans, the Latvian laser. I think he's almost a lock to go back to Washington, and I've heard this from uh, various people uh, at The Athletic who have reported that uh, Washington, as we know, are trying to roll it back next season, and... Uh, want to play with a healthy wall and Beal. They want to play with a healthy team. They really like that they're able to get such a value play on Davis Bertans um, in the Spurs trade that they got just because you know, the Marcus Morris deal fell apart and they needed to dump, dump salary. I think they're willing to pay whatever it takes for the second best shooter in the league. Second best shooter in the league and also he's a decent rebounder and he's 6'10". Yeah. But what does it take? Like, I don't know, like Davis Bertans was literally a salary dump. 
eight months ago. <laughs> and now we're talking about like, because he, he's unrestricted. That's the other thing. He, so yeah. he was on an $8 million um, contract um, this season. It was the last year of uh, Adele that's paying him eight per year. Does he double it? Does he get 15? Yeah, I think he does. Because what he does is would so have, valuable. So would you have to go four sixty, four years and 60 million to get him? It doesn't sound nice when you're talking about Dallas, but it No, does. it doesn't. Because on the one hand, you're like, if you could sign the second best shooter in the league on, um, and also he's 6'10 and he grabs rebounds on a $60 million contract for years. Fuck yeah. But then you think about <laughs> what we know about Davis Bertans in general and how, you know, well, he's what, not like he's not that good. You don't want to pay his own $60 million. He is that good, but he's he's a whole lot better than his replacement. And let's say they, they lose him and then they sign Derek Favors, who we've both said is a great, uh, a great big man who can fit the role. Yeah, but, but I mean, that changes your offense drastically. Like, that, yeah. that's not an apples to apples, you know. I think you do have to do four for 60. Um, yeah. I've just I've just searched up Ryan Anderson. Remember when Ryan Anderson... Um, I do remember because he was on my team for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was a four-year, $80 million contract in Houston. And those first two years, it was like incredible. He was like a solid couple of feet back from the, the three-point line and still bombing him in. And it was almost instrumental to Houston's spread prick and wall. Well, that was a wall. Um, <laughs> which you need because you need those guys that can just stand there and shoot and spread out the offense, especially when John Wall isn't as an elite a shooter and Washington don't actually have a small forward on their roster and they're going to be playing a traditional big man, Thomas Bryant. I think you do have to pay it, and I think he's tradable on that contract. But you saw that Houston was able to... I mean, they, they waved and stretched Ryan Anderson and they're still paying him today, I think. So even if you have to do something like that, you do it because you're getting a player who is is a difference maker. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I think you'd much rather do it for a guy who has a special skill in being one of the best shooters in the league than not. And yeah, I think you do it. Would you do it? <laughs> I would do it, but not like... I do it begrudgingly. I do it because it probably is the best of your options, you know? Um, but maybe I'd try and be like, hey, like maybe it's a two-year 30, $30 million deal. Mm. So maybe just to kind of cover my bases that if this guy turns out to actually not be that good. I like think, we've I think seen he is with, that good. But how many like role players have you seen that have had a, a really, really good... Who, he's undeniably a good shooter, but like, you know, is he the second best shooter in the league next year? How many role players who have a sweet stroke that you've seen them do it, you know, like one or two years and then they fall off? Case in point, dudes just talked about yeah, who yeah. was what how old was Ryan Anderson when he signed that contract probably 27, 28 same age that Bertans is now has the exact same skill set you know yeah it's not apples to apples but giving a dude with one good season 60 million always makes me nervous <laughs> yeah uh, it's always good when you play well in a contract year um, similar player Danilo Gallinari who uh, has said that he is going to be looking for as much money as possible Sadly, it's a global pandemic and the whole entire world's market is depressed. So I don't think he's, he, won't, he will be getting as much money as he could before. Um, remember when Miami had a deal in place with OKC, a sign and trade, but Danilo Gallinari essentially vetoed the trade by saying, I don't want to sign that extension. Mm. I can make more money. And I think that was 10 million per, right? Mm. And Miami were offering that because that would still give him the flexibility to sign Giannis when he becomes a free agent. But... 
I don't know where Gallinari is going. So my pick right now is that he's going to go back to OKC. They've got the cap space to re-sign him to an expensive contract. They can re-sign him to more of his market value and then just play the same game again where maybe there's a sign and trade with Miami again or maybe there's a another trade that you can make next deadline. So I think he is going to go back to OKC just because I don't think anyone else has the gonads to sign him. Yeah, well, knowing that it's knowing that you're not going to be able to get him in a bargain mm-hmm. as well would kind of scare people off in, in some way like t- to press his market. OKC will be will be willing to offer him whatever. I think he signed a three-year six, um, $60 million deal. This is the final season of that. So he's probably going to want something around that again. I think OKC would be crazy to give him three years 60. But, you know, two years 40. Mm-hmm. One year, 22, like give him the, you know, do the JJ Reddick contract that Philly gave him to get him to Philly where you just say, look, realistically, you're probably worth 14, but we'll give you 22 for this year just to, you know, get you in the building. Because OKC is a five seed and along with Dallas would probably be like the, you know, better's pick to be able to cause an upset in the first round. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bringing back that core where... There's a couple of guys, you know, namely SGA, who are going to get better. It doesn't seem like that cause on the downturn. It seems like it potentially, if SGA can kind of make another jump next se- next season, be on the upturn. I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, can we move on to the, in my opinion, the most exciting free agent of this whole entire class, which the is human bowling ball, Fred VanVleet. Mm. Human bowling ball. It's because he's really short and squat and just bowls people over I've got three names here Toronto, Miami and Phoenix Phoenix and I think his value is at 20 million dollars a year Oof. he's an unrestricted free agent who's just coming off a contract of 9 million per and I think he's worth 20 million dollars a year as a capable starting slash backup point guard um, whether that be to Miami where they find a way to give him maybe it's like 20, 25 for a one year contract get Giannis the season after and then see what happens after that or just re-signing in Toronto for that value and pretty much a changing of the guard there with with Kyle Lowry or Phoenix there is a scenario where Phoenix can I am gonna you're gonna have to bear with me I think if they can I did have a way where they can get to that level I think it's if they either trade Ricky Rubio or wave and stretch him so that is you don't like the sound that's, of that that's fucking insane <laughs> that, so, is, that is the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard alright so Ricky Rubio is going to be 17 plus 17.8 and then you add one year to that so there'll be two years left and then divide it by three so you stretch him out you'll be paying him 11, 11.6 million dollars for the next three seasons for him to not play on your professional basketball team but you'll have the cap space to sign Fred Van Vliet to start alongside Devin Booker Kelly Oubre oh fuck and then you've still got to bring back Aaron Baines who was at an MVP level at the start of the season you don't like that at all? no I hate it because <laughs> Fred Van Vliet is not like better enough than Ricky Rubio to justify Just making that move. Well, what if there's a trade where you can salary dump him to one of the four on five? Like, what if you can give him to New York and you have to give up a pick? I prefer Ricky Rubio on... What's Ricky Rubio on, like, 14? 17. 17. Probably. I probably prefer Ricky Rubio on 17 with only two years left than Fred Van Vliet on 20, 20 with 
like four, four years. year deal. Yeah, um, I just think he's kind going to go back to Toronto. Toronto because he knows he knows everyone there. Sounds like a fun player. Kyle Lowry's thirty four, and Fred VanVleet will just be like the next starting point guard. It's like guaranteed. It's like the succession plan. You know, everyone mm. knows him. Everyone likes him. You can bet that they would want to bring him back. I would reckon that they would want to bring him back at that number. That they'd be comfortable doing it. So Kyle Lowry plays one more season, and then he retires or takes a back seat, and you know. I can see, I can see someone like Miami saying this is this would be a better version of Eric Bledsoe to Giannis right now. He is a player who has proven in the finals that he can defend and shoot at an elite level going against Steph Curry. Well, yes, Steph Curry wasn't playing with his full squad, but he was going against Steph Curry. Remember how he had the baby and then he like he kept the kept the hot streak going. He had the baby and then his hand caught fire <laughs> for like the rest of his life. I think he could be again one of the best role players on a championship team, and I think pay, uh, teams would pay a lot of money for that. Unfortunately, again, depressed market, and we don't know where the money's going to be. But I think players teams want this guy. Yeah, and I think I think that's I think that's fine, and I think there's a lot of teams that would look at twenty million for Fred VanVleet and say like, yeah, we've got no problem. It's not it's not like Terry Rozier, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he's a backup point guard coming from a team who thinks that he's ready to be a starter, and everyone except for a team in the fall on four looks at him and goes, ooh, sixteen million a year, maybe not. Yeah, um, I think that genuinely a lot of teams around the league would be pretty interested in bringing him in as a starter. Obviously, you wouldn't pay $20 million for your backup unless <laughs> it was Toronto and you say, we'll, we'll pay you $20 million and be backup for one more season. Kyle Lowry's contract runs out after that. If Kyle Lowry comes back, you're the starter. If he doesn't come back, you're the starter. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, you're playing on what's still a championship roster with the best GM in the league and a top three coach and Pascal Siakam's still here. And Maybe you know, Giannis. And maybe Giannis. Like I don't. I just don't. I just don't see why you would leave um, such a cushy ecosystem where everything is kind of like really nicely yeah. catered to. Well, um, should I let you know that I did a two K my league where mm-hmm. I was Phoenix and I did somehow salary dump um, Rick Rubio and I got Fred VanVleet on this team and it was really fun. Okay. You know what else is really fun? Rick Rubio is a great passer. On 2K? No, in real life. Second. Oh, in real life? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, second, it's not all about 2K. Second in the league in assists this year. And he's a pesky defender. And yes, he can't shoot threes. And yes, because Kelly Oubre can't really shoot threes consistently either. And DeAndre Ayton doesn't shoot threes. Darius Harris doesn't shoot threes. Ken and Johnson Devin, can. And Devin Booker doesn't shoot enough threes. Yes, our spacing is sometimes a little bit cramped. But no, I... Not sitting here being like, no, we could never trade Ricky Rubio. But I just think like, like making the moves that you would need to do to get Rubio off just to get Van Vliet on a bigger, longer contract is... The juice ain't worth the squeeze. <laughs> the juice ain't worth the squeeze, 100%. 100%. I'm really... I'm going to cut that a little bit before because I want to sound professional. <laughs> uh, that's all we have today. Is that right, Dante? Yeah. Unless you really want to talk about Christian Wood re-signing nah. with Detroit. Nah, nah, Christian nah, Wood nah, gets nah. cut. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Dante, thanks for taking the time to speak to me. It was a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I might see you in the future. (laughs) Cheers.